Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Thanks for tuning in to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership. Today's guest is a very dear friend and incredible leader. Her name is Terry Murphy, and Terry understands the power of engagement. You're not going to want to miss this one. You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Thanks for tuning in to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we talk to some of the greatest leaders in their field, and we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk about the price of leadership and the price the leader has to pay to really, truly be a leader. Today, I am super tremendously excited to have the tremendous Terry Murphy as my special guest. Terry Murphy understands the power of engagement, and her expertise is actually in helping people engage with impact. And in today's world with a chronic overdose of people that are disengaged, we are so excited. She is the founder of the Women's Wisdom Network and is the senior editor for Realty Times Women in Business. She is a published author on sales and leadership, a radio host, a master coach, and a TED Talk speaker. And she is a dear longtime friend. And just if I can grow up to be half as tremendous as her, I know how I've really done something with my life. So Terry, welcome. Oh, oh, doctor, excuse me. Yes, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored and so honored and oh, yay, I'm excited. Go ahead. Terry, oh, thanks so much. Well, as you heard, you knew my father. Uh, a long time knew my father. And today we're going to talk about his speech on the price of leadership. Can I just tell you, I know that he he made you, but we we should have been BFFs much longer. Um, the, the very first time I met him, uh, Don told me I was going to meet him, Don Hudson, because we were both speaking at the same event. And uh, Charlie uh, was there and he told me what to look for. And this man just held out his arms like this. And he said, I'm Charlie Tremendous Jones. I can't hug you because of Gloria. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Which, of course, you know how much I loved Gloria. So from that moment on, I was in love and he was going to be a BFF whether he liked it or, or not. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, Terry, he thought the world of you and Don, but he really absolutely adored you. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I want to start out with the price of leadership. My dad outlines three prices of leadership, loneliness, weariness, abandonment, and vision. And of course, the first one he talks about, we've all heard this, that leaders, it's lonely at the top. And loneliness, um, all of us experience it, whether we're in leadership or not. But he talks about a leader sometimes has to just set the pace and lead the way because that's what leaders do. So can you share with me, Terry, in your uh, career, which has uh, spanned many different opportunities, challenges, and successes about what you have experienced, loneliness as a leader, how you push through that, and how you realize, hey, it's okay. This is all par for the course. You know, uh, it's real interesting. I'm, I, I think it's important to know that I'm the firstborn of nine kids. So notice I didn't say oldest. Okay. But, um, uh, you know, it's so interesting because uh, you have to be a leader when you're the firstborn mm-hmm. and your mom has no, no support at all. Wow. Uh, I mean, no grandparents, no aunts, no babysitters, anything. So you become a leader mm-hmm. and you know that um, you're going to mess up because you, no one you're not born a leader. You, you know, you develop into leadership. And when they say it's lonely at the top, it's because you're open to such criticism. 
Mm. Uh, you know, the people that that don't understand, the people that see things differently, and you and it depends on your age. If you if you've only got a you know a short runway of life, you haven't had the experience to understand that there are so many ways to observe, look, and it comes from your value systems and your core values. And so if you are truly in a position of leadership, you know it may not be popular. And you address that later in, in our interview. It may not be popular and you may have to be out there alone, but if you have the conviction because it's deep in your core values and your belief system, you're going to roll uh, mm-hmm. in spite of. And then the people who are on that frequency, the people who who um, vibrate at the same level of, I hate to say consciousness, but uh-huh. value will right. be there. It will be there. And you just have to figure out uh, my favorite, not my favorite quote, like I'm not like Charlie, but one of the most amazing quotes from the Bible is, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And you can't judge people from where they are. If that's where they are, there's a reason for that. It's based on their experiences, their pantry of what's in their head from experiences and beliefs and values. And although it may not resonate with yours, it makes sense to... In, invite them for authorship to to make understand where they're coming from because that's a perspective, Tracy, that you have because mm-hmm. you didn't grow up that way. You didn't have those influences. Mm-hmm. We have this magnificent vortex that we grow up in, which is so amazing and it's so unique. And that's what the gift is. Everybody brings that gift. Mm-hmm. And a good leader creates other leaders because they believe in collective intelligence. They well, understand I, I, the value of it. Yeah. And that collective, you, you, you really hit on it. I love how you said people that vibrate at the same frequency. Um, in leadership literature, we call that a value congruence. And so if I have the same values or moral efficacy as you, then I may not, the leader has to step out. Somebody has got to lead the way. You know, dad always said, I've never seen a monument in a, in a, a park dedicated to a committee. Yeah. So there's somebody that has to stand up there, but sh- within a certain amount of time afterwards, then you do get the people you resonate with that have their values. And I love that. I mean, I love that you brought in that biblical translation that if somebody's not dialed in and on your shared value system, you, it's going to be radio, it's going to be interference or radio silence. Um, how did you handle that as a leader? What, what do you do at that point? Is there a certain amount of time that a leader should wait before they finally go, you know what, I need to get more, um, shared frequency sharers or, or what do you think, Terry? Well, you know, I read an interesting post this morning about people that put people on pedestals mm-hmm. and leadership isn't a pedestal. Leadership is kind of the blueprint of, of how, where and how. And so when you think about the fact that um, in general, success speaks louder than, uh, you know, massive success, grand success speaks loud and mm-hmm. people want to be around success. Uh, people like to uh, feel like they're comfortable within that success. And so if if when you're a leader, if you're out there and nobody's following you yet, I mean, you know, nobody's there to help you. And eventually you just have to keep the faith that, you know, where you're going has some value other than self. And right. then other people want to support that, which find other people that want to support that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's it's a tough thing. I mean, it's we are so social from the moment yes. we're born and survival is, uh, I, have to, <clears throat> I have to say rejection is the, is the fear factor mm-hmm. as a child. If you're not liked, if you're not accepted, you're going to die, basically. Mm-hmm. And so we, that doesn't go away. We just manage it better. Mm-hmm. But when you understand 
uh, from a behavioral style that people can't work in certain ways. They have either high reaction or low reaction. They're, you know, highly emotive. They're not. When you understand that, then you understand where they're coming from. Right. And when you understand where they're coming from and you get to the why, what's the why? It's always behind the why. Mm -hmm. And the why is the speaker for the values and the commitment and whether or not they're going to hang in there or not, because Mm -hmm. it has to have value to them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I think when you're really talking about it's the hesitation there is that people need to feel A, included, A, heard, A, appreciated, even if there is a discrepancy or disparity between the thoughts. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love the runway of life. I mean, I think when you're an emerging leader and the first time you have to stand out there, I remember as a young lieutenant, the first time I had to stand out there and tell the troops, hey, this, and they were just, you know, looking at me. And I think until you get that, that it's not going to be a personality. There's this cult of personality where you think every, it's like Michael Scott on the office. Everybody, you know, I, I have to be loved. And it's like, yeah, but that's not leadership. You know, you want them to respect you and trust you and, and share those values. But I love how you talked about, there's a seasoning with it too for leaders. So for the younger emerging leaders, I know for myself, the older I get, the more I realize, hey, it's going to be lonely. I recognize what that loneliness is. I recognize it's going to be for a time and I'm going to come out of it. And it sounds like you kind of have experienced that too. Yeah, because like you said, it's it's not so much loneliness. It's, it's just um, faith in your own character, where you're going. And when you understand the why behind it, and it's not egotistical, it's a, mm-hmm. for a higher purpose, you understand that that's just part of the drill. And you also understand that those people don't count. I mean, they don't count. Uh, I wish, you know, when we when I speak at Pepperdine uh, for the Youth Citizens Organization every year, um, and I'm talking to 17-year-olds, which, by the way, is terrifying, terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. you, you, you wanted, you, the one thing you want to tell them is, wait, you know, you're so concerned about what this person thinks and that person thinks because that's their little vortex. And you just know that in 50 years, if you ever see them at a class reunion, it's going to be a whole new experience because, you know, they are who they are and mm-hmm. they don't have the power that you gave away. Mm-hmm. And so you just have to be very solid in your faith and your motivation for what you're trying to do or what you're aiming to do. And, and what are the consequences? Um, and then you, that'll make you roll, whether, you, whether you're popular or not. And right. I can't imagine being a lieutenant <laughs> saying that. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. They're like, we what? And I'm like, the crew chiefs. And it was like, I was on second shift. So they wanted to get out for the week. And I'm like, we need to clean the general's jet because he's flying, you know, someplace. And they're just like, what? And I'm like, this is what we're going to do. But I, I love that you talked about that. They're, they're the people that count. And so that's also important as a leader to know, too. Um, your advocates um, are going to support you. They, they may not be all in right away, but then there's other people who, if they go against you or try and tear you down, it's okay. I, I love it. I think leadership really helps you separate the men from the boys, the wheat from the chaff. You know what I'm saying? And just like you were talking to those teenagers, um, there are people that I know if I that abandoned me, well, that's okay because you were never a true advocate or friend anyway. So I think it, as you climb up, you start really developing these authentic people in your life that are kind of co-leaders and have your back. And I think that's a brilliant, um, I don't want to over just blow over that word, co-leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a leader is a co-leader. A leader mm-hmm. develops leaders. Mm-hmm. And and so when people trust you, and sometimes it takes a while. I mean, I just uh, completed a program where there was, um, I think, a fear factor. It's either fear or love. I mean, basically, that's just it. And that's where the trust factor comes in. And she was so threatened 
by me as she, but she had a position, she had a title. And so I could have taken offense to that, but knowing better, I engaged her. I uh, appreciated her. I would uh, ask her opinion. <clears throat> and when you do that, you give authorship to those people. And then you find out who's authentic and who's not. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't want to be surrounded with people who are going to jump ship. You want people that are willing to put it in for everyone. What's the higher purpose? I always ask, what's the higher purpose? Is it going to help? Is it going to hurt? And then you, then you roll and people want to work with you. Well, I want to bring up something that will be uniquely distinct for the women here. You brought up the, the, the fear, fear, love. I think sometimes too, as an emerging woman leader, um, and that somebody that's direct, that can be very scary and intimidating to people. And so we really have to kind of sometimes go the extra mile to say, hey, I'm, I'm just like you, I've got your back and um, just bring them alongside because especially if you've been in careers like me and you, where there's not as many women and the majority is men, right away, it's like, okay, this person's different. And so you have to like, um, you know, don't over, over underestimate that fear may be an element of that, them not knowing how to handle what you're saying as a woman. Yeah. The fear factor is I'm less than, especially mm -hmm. with women. I mean, as you know, at the Women's Wisdom Network, we're doing a, a lot of interviews. And um, uh, what's what's amazing to me is that it universally, I mean, universally, I've coached two Miss Americas. I've, you know, there's never been an Italian Miss America. The, ent the entire pageant has never had an Italian Miss America. It's okay. Really? We got this. Um, <laughs> But, but when you have a woman in front of you who, who has validation from the USA, right, and she still feels somewhat diminished in some capacity, mm -hmm. I think a leader doesn't mind saying, look, I'm not, I don't have it here. And that's why you're so important to this element. I mean, especially if you're a strong, a dominant personality, and you need somebody to hold you back to say, wait, it's not ready, fire, aim. Uh, <laughs> it's about making them feel so valuable to the equation of leadership that they feel needed and wanted and respected. For me, that's, that's the magic formula. I love that. I love it. All right. So that was the loneliness. Now, the next price that my father said that you're going to have to pay to be a leader is weariness. And I can remember him telling me, Tracy, you can be miserable, miserable, or happy, miserable. I mean, life is tough for all of us. So the choice is really, but he says, when you're a leader, you have to come to terms with the fact that if you're going to be doing anything worthwhile, you're always going to have some people that do way less than once expected and some that do way more. How do you handle um, the pay? and the attitude with some people don't need to work so hard. And it is tiring, but there is a good tired kind of thing too. So tell me yes. about how you, how you, how you shoulder on when, when um, it, it does, it's tiring. Well, as a master coach, one of the things I've learned, which is the eternal vigilance, by the way, is when you get to uh, the why, what's the problem? The value system obviously has, uh, there's a bifurcation in the value system. How I see things and how you see things, even if we think we see them the same, are not the same, just because we're individuals. But when you offer systems uh, and measuring and monitoring, then they have a structure. Sometimes they can't, they don't know what to do, so they do what they think. Remember they, what they think. It's always mm -hmm. what they think. And right. so when you, when you put uh, leading 
with versus leading over because otherwise you became dictatorial. Why isn't this done? Why couldn't we get this done? What's the problem here? But when you really figure out the systems and the structure, and that's kind of tied to their behavioral style so that you know how to ask and how to measure, uh, you'll get buy-in. If you don't, you have to release them to uh, to someone who would appreciate them better. Right. Um, I, I think that, is it is it a fear of failure? Is it a fear um, that they can't measure up? What's the issue? I mm-hmm. mean, it's a why issue. It always seems to be a why issue. And um, I think you have to you have to get in their head and find out, is this a rabbit hole or a roadblock? Mm. Now, rabbit holes are perfectly okay when you're tired and you're cranky and you need to go in for and resuscitate, which not all of us do. But is it is if it's a roadblock, yay. I mean, a roadblock makes us go a different direction. We get to see things differently. We get a perspective we would have missed. It's a good thing, even though it's a pain, you know, right. or it's an inconvenience. But that roadblock is a gift. Mm-hmm. And so you have to find out if, if they're a rabbit hole person, then you need to stay there. And then, you know, tell us what we can do to, to either help you with that or, you know, next. Okay. That's the one thing that's hard, especially for women, because we're highly adaptable. So we keep hoping that people will, you know, be inspired or suddenly catch the on. There are just people. Gosh. The value isn't there. The value isn't there, kids. Just end of story. Um, I love it. And that doesn't mean you have to be mean. You just you just have to be observant. And people do the best they can in the moment. Nobody says, let me live that moment over again so I can screw it up just a little bit more. They right. they do the best they can in the moment. And if you don't know what's going on in their life, Tracy, you don't mm-hmm. know if they, they're not well or somebody they don't love is, you don't know if they've got issues. So there may be extenuating circumstances, but if you as a leader can be empathetic, that's the number one leadership um, thing right now, according to Forbes and uh, Harvard Business Review, it's empathy, not mm-hmm. sympathy. Mm-hmm. And you get mm-hmm. it. You get it. Absolutely. And how do you, did you ever tarry at a time in your life wonder if, if this is worth it? Did you ever oh. so tired or burn out? Tell me about that. Oh, <laughs> okay. As a neurotic firstborn overachiever, are you kidding? <laughs> yes. Um, I have, I have one speed, it's flat out. And the uh-huh. one thing I've learned from working with uh, other women and I'm, and you know, I'm not a oh, yay woman thing, but it's just that when you observe men have no problem standing up in a meeting and going, we're going to lunch. I'm hungry. Yeah. A woman would starve to death before she might say that. And so we don't take care of self well enough so that we're, we're girded up for, for the war. I mean, we, we have to understand that we have limited resources and we don't want to say yet. No, you know, we don't want to say no. So we say yes. Right. But every time we say yes, we're saying no to self. And you've only got a divine savings account of time. Mm-hmm. And you have to ask yourself, is this worth it for me? Mm-hmm. And if it's not, you need to switch gears. Mm-hmm. But if you are that committed, but look at your physicality. Are you physically depleted? Do you need a break? Uh, <clears throat> women are so hard driving in so many cases because they have multiple jobs. You know, they have children and you can't say to your, you know, three month old, I'm sorry, I'm on break. No, no feeding. <laughs> you can't do that because that's part of our adaptability factor. But when you understand that accommodation and adaptability are two different things, uh, Mm. That it helps wow. you make better decisions. Well, that's that you know that's from the one minute negotiator uh, with Don Hudson, and that's one of one of the issues with women in negotiating is uh, that uh, and we and I love it, and we got to stop saying no problem. Stop saying no problem, ladies. Start saying uh, I can ha- I can help you with that. Okay, It'll be my pleasure. Because when love you it. say no problem, it sounds like it's no problem. It it 
is a problem because you are yeah. spending time and energy. Yeah. So you want to give yourself value. And that's what I think it comes down to is taking care of the leader so that the leader can take care of other things. And so burnout, uh, your fault. You're not taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Women te- typically take care of everything else and not themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's just an important factor that it's okay. It's not fluffy. It's not an eye roll that you need to take a break. Stop it. Be right. nice to yourself because nobody else will be if you're not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Love it. So then the next one he talks about, and it, it dovetails nicely what you were talking about into the next one, is abandonment. And he says in The Price of Leadership, we need to abandon what we like to think about and what we want to think about in favor of what we ought and need to think about. So how do you really abandon the non-value added things to stay focused on what you really need to stay focused on. Because we're the consummate multitaskers. This is the area that I struggle hardest in. I'm like you. I'll work. I'll work till the cows come home. Okay. But but not all work is good work. You know what I'm saying? So how do you really stay abandoned to only focusing on what you need to focus on? That is such a brilliant point. Thank you, Charlie. Tremendous. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. Um, as a master coach, well, and, and just look at us as uh, as leaders. We think being busy is productive, right? And so often, and I'm gonna—I hate to keep pulling out women here, but women are not good delegators because we know we have to dance backwards and heel. So we just feel like you know we can do it. We can do it. You know, princess warrior, let me on. I can do it. Buckle up. That's all you got. And the, the fact is, not so true. Awareness of where you spend your time. Uh, and we do this with something called the daily success habits. We give ourselves um, um, accountability for what we do in every 30-minute increment until you get into the habit of knowing that it, whatever goal it is that you're trying to achieve, whether it's writing a book or you know just getting through some project, that you you turn you turn um, you you close the door and close the windows. Mm. And this is from Douglas Rushkoff's book present shock because of the digifrenia you just talked about. The technology of today's world and how we've trained the neuro, uh, neurons in our brains is for that constant you know, back and forth multitasking, which of course makes us slower and dumber. It mm. takes 23 minutes and 15 seconds for every single time the analog brain is interrupted to go back. And I had this, uh, I had this discussion with someone we both know last night and I, I said, your brain is analog. I mean, digital is, is, you know, artificial. And so that, that ping ponging of your brain for this note and that note and this uh, notification takes you out of where you were. And that, that chemistry of your brain needs to go back to where it was. And so one of my uh, favorite people, uh, one of my favorite books is the compound effect where Darren Hardy says, um, not only close your windows, close your doors, but time block. And I'm going to tell you, if you're a high achiever, uh, mm-hmm. And leader, you 15 minutes is going to seem like 15 years. But you mm-hmm. set that timer for 15 minutes and you do that one thing. And when you do that, you'll see progress and it'll start feeding what we need to, to keep going because it gives us satisfaction. We're getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. Overwhelm is the biggest problem. And so when you're aware of what you're doing, what you don't need to do, you know, that, that doing that $15 an hour job when you could help and empower someone else to do it, and the other thing is you have to recognize and be honest with yourself, Tracy, when you're not going to do it, you know, an Italian, we're not going to do that. You know that I'm never going to learn QuickBooks because no, I don't want to. Right. Okay, but I, 
I know I can delegate that out and hire it out. If there is a project that every time I started, I want to stop because it's painful. Yes. I know I'm wasting my time. Yes. It's not, it's not productive. So you look at profit versus productive. You block the time. You understand that the digiphrenia is something that can be corrected because you, you give yourself permission to only do one thing. And that is tough in our socioeconomic world right now, mm-hmm. but it is major productive. I love that. And one of the things too is at the end of the day, you know, I, I love the time blocking. You have to, because otherwise it, it just gets away from it. And there's all these time sucks that come into your life. Um, and the past three months with what's been going on has been a great time to really move mountains of stuff that you've been waiting to do. But dad used to say, Tracy, for all the things that I do during the day to help me be a success, if I still have one thing in my day that goes into the failure column, I need to purge. Every day I need to die to self and and push stuff off that doesn't need done right now. Somebody may be calling, oh, let's do this or let's do, you know, Terry, everybody has these great ideas and they call you. And and the, the, the most important thing for me was, keep the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the leadership experts say that too. I'm like, I'm a woman. I can do a hundred things at once. Yeah, but that's not, that's not good. And, and you need to focus on the most important thing and just, just men are linear thinkers and they kind of, they process like that and it's why they get stuff done. Well, and, so, and they also don't yeah. mind delegating. Uh, oh, gosh, yeah. Absolutely. I interrupt you. But um, they they don't have a problem delegating. They don't have a problem asking for help. Women will rethink that a couple of times just because they think, well, I may look, I may appear um, not resourceful, not creative, that I'm slacking. And I'm just saying nicely, you can say, uh, you know, I'm confused. Maybe you can help me with this, which is another negotiation tactic. The idea is, is be aware of what you're doing. And then evaluate it and put yourself first. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be easy. People say, oh, I want to read more. Well, if you really wanted to read more, you block five, even five minutes, read one page. One page will get you through a book eventually. Right. Uh, if you wanted to block that one hour for lunch with a friend, just to refresh yourself. We keep breathing our own ether, which doesn't make us great leaders because we don't get any contrast. So we don't get any refreshment. So we don't get any new juice. We need to understand that time blocking is our friend. And if you're a high eye like I am, it's hard to block, but just do it. Succeed anyway, as Mike Rayburn would say. No, absolutely. I love that. Well, thank you so much for talking about abandonment. And I, I love that you said, if you keep starting something and then you're like, it causes you to just lose focus and go away. Look at it. This is something that is not, you know, the old strength finders delegate it, outsource it, let somebody else do it. And I was doing that. I was finishing up my book and I'd get to the final part and then I just go away. This is my book that's coming out. This should be the number one thing. And then I finally figured out in the back of my mind, I unpacked, there was uh, an approval um, that I, in the back of my mind, I was thinking I probably should go in for that. And once I did and got it back, then boo, 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 boo. So it's just these unconscious blocks about why, ooh, I don't want to do that. And I love that point. Why is it that every time you know you have to get this done, then give it to somebody that can get it done or figure out what piece of it that you can fragment off to that and so you can get back in the saddle. So thank you for that. That really helped me. In order, to help, in order to help a couple of my clients who absolutely will not lose, will not lose control. They want control over everything. And I totally understand that. No right. one's going to do it exactly like you do. But when you, when you understand the outcome, and even if you, get some, even if you talk about it with somebody, they might. it's getting started. And if you get started and you still, then you know it's something you need to delegate out. Beautiful. Give yourself permission 
to be okay so with that. I love that. Yeah. And then that, that way for the emerging leaders, that's how you continue to grow up. There's, there's so, and again, co-leaders are, are being brought into your life and attracted to you and your vision. Give them something to do. Otherwise they're going to go someplace else. And, you know, want to leaders. I'm going to use that. Thank you. Yeah, I like welcome. Well, you know, I really, uh, you know, I studied my dissertation followership and I don't think followership is a dirty word. I mean, from spiritual, I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it shows obedience and love, but a lot of people, followership ha- kind of has a dirty word. So I'm like, what I mean is a co-leader because a true follower will follow you into battle to hell and back, stay with you even when you get sick or cancer. That's more than a follower. That, that's a true advocate. That's your co-leader. So yeah, so that's, that's, that's really a brilliant way to put it. Yeah, advocacy, following. I mean, there's people I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow people uh, who have had experiences that I haven't because I get to live through that richness of their experience and then interpreted for my own life. I, I'm right. never going to be a lieutenant ever. They won't ever ask me. I wanted to be a Navy SEAL, but I don't do water or boats. I mean, I mean seriously, but I love Jocko Wilnick. So yes, uh, you know, just allow yourself to be perfectly imperfect. Right. And if you want to follow somebody, it doesn't mean you're less than, it just means right. you're co-reading. Well, well, and it's it, your heart. I love that. Well, and followers, the, the, the more um, empathetic, as you said, the more open you are and humble as a, as a follower, that's the kind of leader you're going to be. So I tell people, if followership is beneath you, leadership is way above you. But co-leader still is, is really great. And that's what Leah is. You met Leah. She, she's my co-leader. You know, she's not my team. She's, my, she's right there with it. So. <laughs> Tell her to come to Memphis. Yes, yes, we will. We'll be there. We will be there. Okay. Last price of leadership. My father talked about the fourth price was um, vision. And a lot of times, and I can remember sitting under these great men, you know, Norman Vincent Peale, Og Mandino, Ken Blanchard, and thinking, if only I was born that smart visionary. Steve Jobs asked, I could be one of those people leading the way. But my dad said, vision is only simply seeing what needs to be done and doing it because everybody sees it, but so few people go out and just do it. And that's who visionaries are. They see it and then they, there's the execution component on it. So as you've been building your business, can you, can you share with me like an epiphany or how you really just, you know, I think sometimes we make vision harder than it needs to be. How do you, how do you recommend to people to see what their true vision is, which is the best version of themselves? You know, that is such a good question. And I believe that vision becomes a habit. Yes. So I don't care if you're walking through the grocery store and there's a box on the floor, pick it up. Mm. I don't, I mean, to me, that's just a tiny inconsequential step, but it's leadership. Right. It doesn't belong there. Um, You see a problem and you come up with a solution may not be the most popular solution, but it's a solution. And if somebody criticizes, you say, well, um, that's perfectly great. Tell me about your solution. Mm -hmm. You invite people to help you with that. I think vision is your constant scanning. As an engagement specialist, I constantly scan everyone I meet to find out what's the magic way to reach them, the real them, not their consciousness, but their the divine part of them. And I love doing that because even if I'm going you know, through into a big, well, in the days we had big events and there was somebody taking the ticket, I knew I could connect with that person in a millisecond mm-hmm. because I would go to them. And so when you become, when you start practicing the art of vision and you start looking for the opportunity in that roadblock, you just get better at it. And, and you look at how other people look at things and you don't have to judge, but you can observe, you can get fascinated. You can get inquisitive, ask questions. Vision is about 
being open to seeing the miracles, which happen every day, even in the midst of tragedy, right. even in the midst of inconvenience. But the fact that you have the ability to have vision is the gift to begin with. Mm. The fact that you are willing to give that awareness, that attention away from the craziness and see it tells me that you're destined to make the next step, which is Mm -hmm. like you said, just do it. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the way I would best describe it. Make it a habit. Habit. And I love how you said it's scanning. That's an active verb. I think some people vision, I could get a good night's sleep and see something slightly different the next day. I may have, like you said, a physical, a vitamin deficiency. I went through almost chronic fatigue a couple of years ago and found out what was off and fixed that. But I mean, vision every day, like you said, you get more information, you get more dialed in. And so vision, um, we don't just transform into Mara, ta-da, you know, I'm it. But every day we continue to morph and transform. And I love that you talked about it. That's, that I think some people are like, but I was so supposed to be here. This is what I work for. I know, but now we're talking about moving on. It's this constant regenerative thing. It's, it's really about discovery. Again, you discover yeah, when discovery. you're looking. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I use the roadblock analogy because boy, I tell you what, uh, you know, our, our lives went upside down. It happens every day to people, but this just happened on a more global uh, level. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so what were, what was, you know, I, and it's not Pollyanna, where's the silver lining? It's like, how could I look at something differently? Here's right. a case in point. I would never have had groceries delivered. I would have really ordered from something I could pick up at the store if it was there from like Amazon. But because of the contrast, I had to change how I viewed. So mm-hmm. vision is a constant, eternally vigilant kind of thing. And it makes you fascinated with life because it puts up that diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, if everything was the same, if everybody drove the same car and ate the same food and wore the same clothes and looked the same, it would be pretty boring. It's the gift of the colors and the threads and the experiences and the vision of other people that makes the tapestry of your life mm-hmm. so vibrant. Mm-hmm. And so take, you know, look, look where you're going, look what other people are doing. Well, I love that. And you, you hit it. I think openness is the greatest key to vision because you just have to, you have to see previously unrecognized assumptions and opportunities. And, and for leaders, you, you, there's no leadership. I mean, there's leadership books on how to develop, but half the time you're flying blind. You don't know what's coming around the corner. Look at what's going on. Okay. But just staying open, you know, yeah, go ahead, Terry. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just going to say, uh, and it's just, it's not a safe place. I mean, we like right. safe because it's, you know, kind of predictable and we know, but uh, safe is boring. Um, and I'm not saying you should be unsafe, but just be, when you're open, the gifts of the universe show up. It mm-hmm. just, you know, you start noticing those, you know, those red cars or that those cardinals or whatever it is in your day. And you got to be, you've got to stop and acknowledge it. So you get more. But you are what your focus is, which to bring us back to where we started, focus is the key. What's the solution? Be part of the solution. If someone isn't part of the solution, find out why and see if you can help them. If not, move on, because mm-hmm. that frequency will attract more of what you are looking for. So whatever you focus on, you are. And so let's just rock it, man. It's one, it's one runway, kids. It starts and it ends. Let's <laughs> make it fun. 
I love it. Oh, Terry, thanks so much uh, sharing the price of leadership. It is a daunting price, but it is the most rewarding thing in the world. I'm sure you will agree. Anything else you want to share with our listeners about, you know, your journey and the price you paid for leadership? Yeah, I've got to tell you, um, in, <laughs> there's been plenty of mistakes. Hmm. Um, I'm going back to kindergarten. I mean, you know, we've made mistakes in our <laughs> life and leadership and they haunt you forever. But it's, I just, I just would wrap with this. Um, be kind to yourself. Mm. Uh, the, the worst thing we do is we beat ourselves senselessly because we aren't perfect, that we didn't do it right, that we made a, a dopey decision. Well, you can make a real stupid decision when you can't see everything, or like when you said, when your health is off, or you're exhausted, mm-hmm. or you can't see because you're just, you know, you've been so digiphrenic that you're not in the moment. But when you're kind to yourself, you give yourself some empathy first Mm. and you give yourself permission to clean it up and learn to the next. Leadership is a a process. You're a leader every single day, even if you're listening to this and you go, well, I just like being that follower. You're going to be the leader where you follow. So you can't abandon that. It's a choice. Mm -hmm. But the choice, like you say, is is brilliant because it gives extraordinary uh, growth to yourself. And that's why we're here. Yes. And uh, you learn through other people, you learn through mentors, you learn like my, you know, Charlie's in every one of my programs at the end, you're the same person you are today, except for the five people you meet in the five books you read. Mm-hmm. And that's what we get. We get the vortex of someone else's experience, their vision, and then we create our own, which is uniquely you. So be nice to you, you know, give yourself a break. If you make a mistake, even if it's horrific, there's something on the other side. Absolutely. And I just, I love that because growing pains, you're going to have to give yourself grace and grace is a beautiful thing. Even if nobody else gives it to you, give it to yourself because you deserve it. And this is part of being in the fires. It's going to hurt and sting and you're going to get, I mean, yeah, I, I love that. Oh, Terry. Now, Terry, where can people connect with you? Um, you know what? Uh, just Terry at TerryMurphy.com with an I like ice cream. Um, Terry at TerryMurphy.com for my email address. Uh, just go to Terry Murphy, go to LinkedIn. Listen, I'm everywhere. You just have to know it's the short Italian one. Okay. Cause there's a bunch of us. <laughs> and then they can find your women's network. The wisdom yeah, network the women's Wisdom Network is a Facebook group. Uh, Realty times has a whole segment for women in business, women in real estate. My favorite in the men's room with Murph, where I interview men because we're looking for people with perspective and we are, it's irrelevant about gender. Right. Uh, it's all about their bringing their magic sauce to help us live and be our best us. So thank you for that. I love it. All right, folks. Terry, thank you so much. It has been an absolute joy. And uh, I appreciate you having in my tremendous tribe. And for our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. Be sure and connect with Terry. And thank you for being part of our tremendous community. Have a tremendous day. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.